0: Today we're going to continue our series in Jude. Jude is probably the most neglected book in the 66 books of the Bible. So I'm going to ask you now to turn to Jude, and for some it may be a difficulty to find it. If you don't have a Bible or you've got it at home or whatnot, there should be one in the the shelf in front of you. If not, you can have mine. It's right up here. Jude is the 67th book, excuse me, the 65th book of the Bible. It's right before Revelation. It's a small book. It's a merciful book. It's a courageous book. It's taking risks kind of book. It's there to see the Christ kind of book. As you're making your way there, I want to tell you a quick story of Marvin Olasky. He's the editor-in-chief of World Magazine, and he tells this story of the time that he asked Ray Miller, then a revered pitching coach of the Pittsburgh Pirates, what the hardest part of his job was. He talked with scolding affection about young pitchers. Quote, they have an attention span of about 10 minutes. And they naturally tend to overthrow on the mound and then overdo it when they get off the field. So it is a race against time in trying to teach them. My job is to put old heads on young bodies. Well, at the tender age of five, Our sweet church has a young body. You are filled with vitality and vigor. You are active in the causes and you care deeply about good things. Some of the most sacrificial things that I have witnessed have come out of Veritas and it's caused me to weep with joy. Yet, along with the youthfulness comes susceptibility. The Apostle Paul saw in the young pastor named Timothy two types of susceptibility moving in opposite directions of each other. On the one hand, Timothy needed to hear, God has not given you a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and self-control. Timothy had to confront the heresy and the spell binding myths of the day. He must repent of fear and he must speak out. Yet on the other hand, with the same need to fight the good fight, Paul said, flee youthful passions that lead to quarrels. For the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach Patient when wrong, with gentleness, correcting those in opposition. If perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the faith, that they will escape the snare of the devil, having been held captive to do his will. Putting old heads on young bodies is a process. It takes grace, it takes repentance, it takes courage, it takes humility. Beloved, we have susceptibilities. When the need to fight for the faith arises, we can shrink back and not fight out of timidity. Yet on the flip side, when the need to fight for faith comes, we can pursue the fight with youthful passion and quarrel as if winning an argument and not winning over a person is the end result well this morning i want to put before you two ministries this morning is an appeal of the highest order to each of us to renew ourselves in or get involved in these two ministries we pastor garrison and i make this serious and urgent request to every member of veritas community church for the life and the well-being of Christ's precious young church. The two ministries are a gospel-defending ministry and secondly, a gospel-defining ministry. And we will look at these two ministries separately. And they are distinguishable, but they are inseparable. They touch and tangle to form a braid of one reality, of one ministry. And so today's message is titled, Fight for the Faith. It will be organized into two parts. The fight, and then we'll close with the faith. Now this message is going to hit, it's going to land on one of three types of of groups here today present the first group we'll call loathe to fight the confrontation averse group will be called to turn from cowardly self-protection and fight for the faith out of love for God and each other group two we can call this love to fight the confrontation attracted group will be called to turn from arrogant self-promotion and fight for the fight for the faith out of love for God and each other. And the last group, we'll call this one loved into the fight as needed. The confrontation alert group will be called to model humble, Courage as they fight for the faith out of love for God and for each other. Fight for the faith. Will you please stand with me at the reading of God's precious word? I will be preaching one verse, it will be Jude 3. You will hear in that verse the reason why we're calling this message Fight for the Faith but we want a running start to it, so I'll pick it up in verse 1. Jude 1-3 through 3 we read, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, Although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And so the organization of the message is pretty simple the first part is called fight or the fight and what we'll see in this verse is Jude looks at the fight the word in ESV is contend that that word can can unpack as agonizing it can unpack as as a confrontational kind of ministry it can unpack as fight And that's what I elected to call it, the fight. And what he's going to do in this small verse is look at it from no less than two angles, two characteristics of the fight, so that he will describe it in such a way that we'll be able to see clearly what the nature of fighting truly is. Then we'll segue into the second part, and this is called the faith. And likewise, Jude looks at the faith And he's going to look at it at two different angles to bring forth two characteristics of the faith. Describing it in a way so that there is no question at all what the faith is. Because we might have a spirit of fight, but if we don't have the object of the fight, it won't mean a whole lot here at Veritas. So that's the way it's going to flow. Let's take a look first at the fight. First, Jude Says that it is mandatory. In the passage that we just read, verse 3, he says, Contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So he's appealing to you to contend for the faith, to fight for the faith. Appealing, it's a strong verb. He's not suggesting, this is an exhortation. And it's mandatory. It's for everyone. So on the screen, it should read, y'all. I borrowed that from Pastor Garrison of last week. Because it's true, in the Bible we'll come across pronouns like you. Is that you, Dan Turner, or y'all? And so if you look at it, in the original, there will be a second person plural. So how do we English folk do that? So I'm just going to stick with y'all. I think it's a pretty good way. Each and every one of you, this message is for. Each and every one of you is to fight for the faith. Young or old, rich or poor, educated in rhetoric or not, every born-again believer is commanded to contend for the faith. If we try to deny it, forget it, explain it away, we live in the sin of omission. Listen carefully to the writer of Hebrews and how he maintains this truth. Chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any one of you all an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's still called today, that none of y'all may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. You see, it takes a community to fight this way. It takes y'all, everyone, to fight in order for this not to happen for us. In doing so, if we fail to do this, we are not loving one another as we ought. Even when we start seeing someone sidetracked over new teachings or movements or causes that lead us away from the Gospel. If we do not stand up and claim that we are our brother's keeper, we will be in jeopardy of stumbling and falling into heresy. And left unchecked, moves to apostasy. In verse 2, we hear that God has called us to Himself and loves us and He will keep us from the dangerous effects of false teaching. And one of the ways He keeps us and protects us from stumbling and falling into aberrant teachings is for God's people to be stirred up by His Spirit to contend for the faith, to stand up and speak up over sound doctrine so y'all fight for the faith now some of you might be thinking protecting the church from false teaching and false teachers is the responsibility of the shepherds of the church elders are the one who are charged to watch over the flock Elders are the ones who protect the church in sound doctrine. If you're thinking this way, you're accurate. The Bible calls us all to care for the thoughts of each other, but especially the shepherds of the flock. So listen carefully, Pastor Garrison, Pastor Dan, and future pastors of Veritas Community Church. In First Timothy 4.16, the Apostle Paul urges the young Timothy to keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. We must be committed to watch our hearts and our teaching. John Owen counsels this way, quote, Finding out the subtleties and policies and depths of any indwelling sin, to trace this serpent in all its turnings and windings, be able to say at its most secret actings, This is your old way, of course, and I know what you aim at. We pastors must first and foremost give our sweet congregation our holiness. We must constantly be rooting out false thinking and lusts in our hearts and minds. We must continue maturing in our thought and maturing in thought, word, and deed. Using the disciplines of the faith, prayer, meditation, solitude, community, Scripture study, Scripture memorization, and meditation so that the hearts of the shepherds here at Veritas will be in tune with the sweet melody of the Gospel. Richard Baxter wrote this, The tempter will make his first and sharpest attack on you. He has long practiced fighting either against great or small comparatively, but against the shepherds that he might scatter the flock. Take heed then, for the enemy has a special eye on you. You are sure to have his most subtle insinuations, incessant solicitations, and his violent attacks. Beloved Garrison Turner, And future pastors, if we go down, the sheep might scatter. And if the sheep scatters, they run into the gaping jaws of wolves. Listen up. Take it to heart. Fight for the faith in your hearts and in the sweet church of Veritas. Well, Jude is looking at the fight and its characteristics. First, we can see that it's for you all. But left here, it would be pretty dangerous. So he starts his letter up, and he actually saturates his whole letter with this theme about the supernatural nature of the Christian life. And when he's talking about the fight... He's talking about it in a wholly different way, an otherly nature kind of way. And so we see that at the starting of verse 3. He calls us beloved. The second characteristic of this fight is it's supernatural. Now in the history of Christianity as well as in modern examples, the fight for the faith looks more like UFC fight than it does the bleeding sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. The fight Jude talks about does not have a natural nature to it. Notice thus far in Jude's letter, the descriptions of a Christian. In verse 1, we are servants of Jesus Christ. We are beloved in God the Father and we're called by Him and kept by Jesus Himself. We are, according to verse 3, the loved ones, the saints, holy, set apart for supernatural living and agendas. This position and pleasure is to be our power and purpose in the fight for the faith. Another great commentator, Matthew Henry, in the late 18... now, 1600s into the, the 1700s said these words. Those who have received the doctrine of this common salvation must contend earnestly for it. Earnestly, not furiously. Hmm. Sincerely, yet not angrily. Deeply, yet not irritably. Seriously, yet... Not crossly. Jude addresses the church and calls her beloved. This fight we enter into is not only mandatory, but it is supernatural for everyone. Transitioning now out of the first part, this is the fight. For what are we fighting? What are we standing up for? We see that in this verse as well. It says, Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. The first description that we come across regarding the faith is found in the phrase, once for all. This phrase highlights the faith as being fixed. Whatever the faith is in this this passage here, we know that it's external. It's unchangeable. It's unalterable. Inflexible reality. The recipients of the faith did not view this body of truth as a wax nose on their face that they could shape to their liking. The once-for-all faith had no deficiencies for which the church needed to add to or subtract from. The faith was parallel to or even synonymous with the phrase, the first part of verse 3, common salvation. We see Paul using the same concept in Galatians chapter 1. And in this passage, the people of Syria and Cilicia, were to accept Paul and his preaching even though they knew he once persecuted the church and tried to, and here's the phrase, destroy the faith. The term refers to a body of teaching that is complete and never to be altered. So what is it? What is the content of the faith. Jude continues to work this through and he calls it the delivered to the saints kind of faith. I want to call this, it is apostolic. The second characteristic we come across, the faith is apostolic. It is delivered to the saints. Now the term delivered can be rendered handed down. It's a technical word that's used in Jewish teaching. Paul used the description when he was delivering the indispensable, defining element of his teaching known as the Gospel. We started it up this this morning with this passage, but I'd like us to just look at it again. It'll be up on the screen. This is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 through 8 and you can identify eight characteristics of the gospel now I would remind you brothers and sisters of the gospel I preached to you which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word preached to you unless you believed in vain for I delivered to you all, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That He was buried. That He was raised on the third day in accordance to the Scriptures. That He appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at the same time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then He appeared to James, then all to the... Uh, To all the apostles. And last of all as one untimely born. He appeared to me. We just listened to the greatest news ever. That was received by God. To the apostle Paul. And then delivered to us. Christ. The son of God. Died in our place. And paid the price for our sins. And accomplished perfect righteousness by enduring and removing all of God's wrath. He was raised from the dead triumphantly over death in order to give us eternal life and never-ending, ever-increasing joy in His presence. And all of this was offered freely through faith alone In Christ alone. This beloved is the faith. The body of truth that has been delivered once and for all. But but to whom is it delivered? Who was given this sin defeating. Life producing. Community creating. Joy fostering message. Well the faith is delivered to the saints. You see that in verse 3? These are the people, according to verse 1, who have been loved from eternity past by God, who were called to Christ and responded in repentance and faith and whose future is secure by the very grip of Jesus Himself. These people are called in the Bible saints, set-apart ones for the honor and holiness of God. These are the ones who are born-again believers in Jesus who have been baptized in the name of the father and son and the holy spirit these are the ones who have covenanted to a bible believing christ treasuring people loving local church i'm talking to you i'm talking to you saints can you understand why god exhorts us to fight for the faith we are to obey this command for the sake of the glory of god and the joy of the brothers and sisters that you're sitting right next to. We are to fight for the faith so that the saints can see more clearly the contours of the splendor of Christ. We are to fight for the faith so that Christ will be adored and worshipped and our hearts will become purified and pleasured by the very beauty of Jesus Himself. We are to fight for the clarity of the Gospel because that's where the power of God is for the salvation of all who believe. Amen? I heard too. The fight for faith is a Gospel-defending, Gospel-defining ministry for each other to see the glories of God in the face of Christ in the milieu of our cultural moment. We need, beloved, a crisp clarity and cogency of the gospel in front of our eyes and deep within our hearts. Our nation today is very eager over issues such as justice, equality, identity, love, acceptance, rights, and so forth. Wonderful issues deeply held in our hearts that have an echo of the amazing gospel. Yet, fuzzy the gospel, and even saints will become, will begin to treat these types of good things as if they are the very good news. We must be kept by God's love as our hearts are stirred up to fight for the faith. His love will keep us from stumbling and present us blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. This is what is at stake for the saints who have been given by God the undomesticated and unmanipulated faith. So, this message it's an exhortation. It's not advice, it's not counsel. Not putting it out there. Take it under advisement and see how it works. This is an exhortation by God in the Scriptures through a preacher to our hearing. It is a command to contend for the faith. It aimed to call each of us into a vigorous defense of the Gospel in order to define the Gospel for the saints amid all the false Gospels in order to keep us in the very love of God. But, left here, this will just merely be a thought with little change that will happen, in my estimation. We will simply resettle into our comfortable group with whom we identified at the start of the message. For some, you came this morning sensing that you are in group one. You struggle with timid preoccupations for self. You loathe confrontation. It's threatening and it's unattractive. Self-protection promises peace, albeit fake. You may confess your timidity, but find an addictive comfort in self-protective strategies. And this will keep you quiet when you should speak up. Who will set you free from this grip? Others of you perhaps came this morning and you were sensing you're in group two. You struggle with boldness that delights your craving in self-promotion. You want to be seen as right and strong, not weak and wrong. You love a good fight and its effects win you the argument in a splash of delight, albeit delusional, while leaving others uncared for and addictive delight in self-promotion strategies. This will keep you from talking when you should just be listening. Who will set you free from this grip? Write this sentence down. some of you have been writing that's great if not that's great but I want you to write the next sentence down what you are very eager for matters what you are very eager for matters what are you avid about what excites you to no end This eagerness cannot keep quiet. It will grab people and say, look at this, look at that, listen to this, watch that. What you are eager for matters. Now, I left the first part of verse 3 to the end of the message for a reason. Jude, beloved, is our model for fighting for faith. When you read this, He's a human being like you and me. And you start seeing compassion and clarity and courage mingled into one heart. He exhorts. He shows mercy. He is clear with warnings. He steps out of His study to go public with a thunderous message. He is sweet to those who are doubting. He is stern with those who would kill, steal, and destroy the Gospel. He takes risks. He loves people. How can He be this way? How can He be this way? Notice Jude's heart. Jude is the first responder to an emergency at the church. He goes toward the threat. He senses a threat. And a foreboding enemy slithering into the church and causing division and distortion and even deadly destruction. He sees heresy sweeping into the church. This is so alarming that he puts on the pause of what he is so eager for. What was he so eager for? What was he so utterly avid about? Is he a heresy hunter? Or perhaps he is hunting for someone in the midst of heresy. Write down verse 25, verse 5, and verse 3 because I think you'll start hearing a melodic note running through his little letter. A little thread that holds this whole thing together. If we listen to and read Jude and are just dazzled with some of His examples of the Old Testament and and marveling at some of His descriptions about judgment. We're missing the note altogether. He loves the Savior, verse 25, who saves, verse 5, And so, of course, he's going to be avid about, excited about, he's eager to communicate the common salvation. The one that we share. The story of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, who came into this broken world as a man, the God-man, who lived the life we should have lived. Lived and died the death. We should have died. horrific death. Screaming out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he stretched it out to absorb the wrath of God and avert it from his saints, his people, his beloved. That's what he did. And Jude has been looking at this storyline and has been looking into the storyline to see the Christ. So much so that he begins to preach like, Colossians 3:11 Him we proclaim admonishing everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we might present everyone mature in him That's Jude that's his heart He's so eager to talk about the salvation the gospel and the savior in the gospel who actually gets into people's lives and saves them from Satan saves them from the wrath of God saves them from sin Saves them from hell. Isn't that great news? He knows that in his heart. And now, he is determined to put that on hold. And now he is dead serious to address the church. Wake up! Fight the good fight. Pondering, praying over, pursuing, and pleasuring into the Gospel. We will see the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We will see the very glory of God in the face of Christ. Beholding Him as a way of becoming like Him. And now we have the way of fighting in a way that looks more like Jesus than the world. And I don't even know where I'm at in this. I'll just end with this. John Owen is one of the uh, most helpful Puritans that I've read. And he was talking about contending for the faith. He was a man who was deeply disturbed and deeply exercised into fighting for the faith. But he said something about contending for the faith that was so apropos for this morning. He said... More important than all is a diligent endeavor to have the power of the truths professed and contended for abiding upon our hearts, that we may not contend for notions, but that we have the practical acquaintance within our souls when our heart is cast indeed into the mold of the doctrine that the mind embraceth when the evidence and necessity of the truth abides in us, when not the sense of the words only is in our heads, but the sense of the thing abides in our hearts, when we have communion with God in the doctrine we contend for, then we shall be garrisoned by the grace of God against all the assaults of men. Oh, beloved, we have a young body. And it's going to take months and years to fashion an old head on our body. Insight, discernment, patience, kindness in the midst of temptation, clarity, cogency, consistency, as we move through this milieu of swirling mythologies and all sorts of heresies. Hear the Word. Heed the Word. And together, let us fight for the faith. Let's pray. Father, thank You very much for preserving Jude, the letter of Jude, down through the ages for us to not merely read and recite but relish it in such a way that we can release it into the hearts and minds of human beings. Glory be to God. May you come and bring forth such a life-transforming touch to this message that we will be in a group three with humble courage for our brothers and sisters. For the sake of your great and precious name, amen.